Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is C. Haynes, who makes music as Chains. They're a multi-instrumentalist and composer who writes surreal and fantastical electronica and electroacoustic music. I have been adoring C's album The King ever since it came out last year and I did a big long interview with C over WhatsApp at the time of the album's release which only enriched my relationship with it more. And we spoke a lot about Twin Peaks and Silent Hill 2 during that interview and there certainly seems to be something on the king that resembles those pieces of work in the sense that there's something diffused into the air that you can't really pinpoint but that generates a certain sensation and again that sensation itself is difficult to define I love that there's just a sense of something circulating through the air that you can't pinpoint but it's an album with so much in terms of dynamics I mean it's a radiant record it's also incredibly dark and full of shadow there's these alternations of you know light and gloom and what I love is that I mean for someone who makes such incredibly immersive music instead of picking three albums per se they picked three computer game soundtracks for crucial listening so I've been really off the boil with computer games over the past like 10 years I think so it was great to find my feet again with computer games and to have C talk me through three soundtracks that have been particularly important to them. And you can keep up to speed with what C's doing on Instagram and Facebook and, and also on Patreon where they're taking donations to fund the future activities, including a computer game for which the primary driver is audio. They mention it a bit during our interview it sounds really interesting so I'll put all those links in the show notes and as always you can go to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more on C's picks and other things besides but without any further delay here's C Haynes on crucial listening Hello, C. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, now, you've brought three important records to the table mm. uh, as per all these Crucial Listening episodes. But I wanted to start by asking about a few recent goings on that you've had personally. I mean, one of them is uh, Lake Junction Festival, which you played at back in March. Uh, how did that go? Yeah, it went okay. This was a, this was a good learning experience for me, right? Because I um, definitely like 
a perfectionist to the point where it's very unhelpful. And oh, oh sorry, I'll, I'll skip. It went well, so then <laughs> we'll, we'll backtrack <laughs> from that point rather than leave you hanging. Yeah, um, yeah, no, like um, it was weird. That's that I haven't I haven't played on a stage um, quite that big for a little while actually, and it's weird because I think. I was expecting to feel like the force of a large crowd of people, like in in a good way, not in a bad way. Um, kind mm. of like, oh, lots of people, big vibe. Uh, but the thing about big stages is they got a lot of lights, so you, <laughs> all you can see when you're on stage is just like lighting, and then there's <laughs> like you know there are people there, but you bloody hell can't see them. Um, <laughs> But but it was still still like still like good good vibes in the room and yeah no overall it went really well I had an interesting experience with because um, my 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 set is essentially kind of structured improv going off of the tracks at least for the first like two thirds of it uh, I do just perform Mary as it as it is because that works mm. rather nicely but for everything else because it's so because the album is so layered trying to kind of recreate that on stage um, just became a bit of a nightmare because it was just kind of a case of press play and let it happen, um, <laughs> which I don't like doing as a performer. I, I, I feel wrong. It's not, yeah, it's not for me. Sure. So the first kind of section I do is based off of nocturning. So it's a lot of flute stuff, like like harp runs and uh, the beat behind nocturning and kind of develop that sort of from a small thing to a larger thing and then the second like portion is uh going off of the track down which is like we're, i'm doing that with guitar so i mean so for me it's it's something that i i enjoy i, re- I really enjoy doing in front of a group of people because you kind of feel like it's very much like you're you're in this moment with people and you kind of feel the emotion of that and it's very much about like that point in time. Um, I don't like rehearsing because I'm just in my, my <laughs> office. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I'm just like oh, I know how this goes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah. But um, for me, te- technically, for Late Junction for festival, and they haven't actually played it, so maybe maybe they agree with this first take of mine. <laughs> it didn't actually. It well, it it went very sideways because. So I've got a loop pedal, and because Down's kind of got like this very constant riff of like, like I I put, I put that into the loop on the guitar, and that's supposed to be synced to like a very simple beat. I have to remind my loop pedal sometimes to communicate with my computer, and on this occasion it absolutely didn't. <laughs> so, oh no! <laughs> so as it went on, I was like, wait, is that? Hang on, one, two, three, oh. Oh. Yeah, um, and I had a moment, and I'm not. Enti- <laughs> I'm not entirely. I think I just went like full like noise metal kind of <laughs> glitch out kind of thing. <laughs> but so it was weird because at the time I'm 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 fairly certain, and I do try not to do this because I'm like I don't, I don't think anybody benefits from it. But I think at the end of the thing, I think I turned to the audience and kind of shrugged, um, <laughs> which is uh, not not the best. Well, anyway. But I, I listened, I got all the tracks back um, and I listened to that one and I was like, oh, geez, okay, fine, I'll listen to it. And actually, I mean, it, it might not be the thing I would choose again, but 
it it was good and i was like oh i think i'm probably far too harsh on myself nice um, like it's, it's like kind of i suppose it's that thing when you got your mind of like oh but i had this planned for you and blah blah yeah. blah um yeah but Ain't that the joy of life performance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I just every single time I remember either playing a gig myself or watching someone I know play a gig, and then coming off stage and you know coming over and saying, you know, you say to them, "Oh, that was brilliant," or whatever, and they say, "Nah, this bit went terribly." <laughs> yeah. Every single time, and then they go, "You wouldn't have known. Yeah. No one would have known." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah. And, and like I'm getting better at internalizing that, but it's it's so difficult when when you put a lot of energy into a thing, but but you can't yes. just go up to people and because I I did have people come up to me being like oh that was great and like uh, like a very big part of me wants to go no you are wrong <laughs> wrong you are <laughs> wrong that was not good <laughs> um, but that that feels like a bad thing to do to people if they've had a nice time <laughs> for sure <laughs> and yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest uh, it's interesting as well because I, I noticed that you released like your first studio run through of the live versions yeah. of The King back yeah. end of the last year and I'm also intrigued because when we did our interview uh, near the beginning of last year you were mm. talking about perhaps some frustration I don't know if that's fair to say around that translation process from studio to live versions and how there's a certain relinquishment of control that has to go on in order for that to happen I mean so what's your journey been like with having these studio versions and then turning them into something that you're like okay I'm gonna be able to present uh, an iteration of these pieces in front of people in Mm. a live setting it's interesting because I think back. Did I talk to you in like March? Of I last think it year? was. Yeah. Sort of like I know it was winter because I know I was working in London and it and it snowed, so that's, <laughs> that's a rough time scale. Yeah. So yeah, because um because I was preparing for um my gig at Tusk in Newcastle uh, for Tusk Festival, so that's that's where that was all going i think um mm. if, if i've got the timeline right or i'm just talking about something completely no 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 that, that is correct um yeah no so it's been an interesting one and i because when i first started making music that got out to people the first one of the first things that happened was people asked me oh can you perform that live and i had never planned for that i never envisioned myself doing it so the answer was kind of like, I mean, you want me to, so I guess I will. <laughs> um, and I kind of like went at it kind of a bit half-assed. Well, because I think, because I, I really wanted to do things sort of like what I felt was justice. And to the parameters I'd set myself, i.e. it had to sound exactly the same as the record, that mm. wasn't going to happen. So it was kind of like, I'm, only be- I'm being made to think about this because of everybody else. Um, so gigging was just a bit miserable because it because it was always just like how did that go? Oh, it was bad. Like ugh, like I didn't blah, 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 all right. the rest of that. So and yeah yeah. So it was it was interesting because it was a it was a definite. It's a, it's a lot of preparation to put everything together. Mostly because it was kind of a case of okay, I know I can I can play the flute and I can sing and I can play the guitar. So the the bits that actually will take the most time are putting all the um, 
the actual electronic stuff and the uh, effects changes and that onto pedals and onto like MIDI buttons and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like there has to be you have kind of like this first level of deconstruction where you have like a general plan where it's like okay fine let's just have let's just have the beat and if we start with a very light version of the beat and then go to a medium version and then a big version and like in in performance it's effective but to do in the studio like i find it a little bit like pulling teeth because it's right. well cuz i like i feel <laughs> it's a bit it's just a bit me it's like i've already written this track for god's sake like <laughs> so, so having to like pull it apart and then make like nice little loops it's just a bit like oh, come on, i want to be doing something else but when that's like finally there well, then you have like the quality assurance bit where you try it and then you go, and then you have to change all the things. <laughs> so like it, like for me, for me, I find that a little bit of like a little bit sort of frustrating. But once you get there, and then finally, like I felt like I could sort of that my playing, my actual playing was at the center of things, and like maybe that you know I would be playing along to a beat, but it wasn't controlling me, I think. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I think that, that was a big thing that I'd felt previously where it was a bit like, because there was so much that the computer was doing, it felt very much like karaoke. It was like, okay, if if this track is super complicated, but there's a flute as the focus, let's just take the flute out, have the track, play the flute along to it, which is like viable, but A, I don't like it. B, it feels bad. And C, I could probably do something that's more engaging for a live setting, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it was good because um, I'm trying to think. Since Tusk Festival, uh, and I think that went well. Again, I think I'm discovering that I like I like situations where I can actually see the audience um, <laughs> and having lights in my face does quite a lot to take away from the experience for me. Because I like, I think I like, I like to know how I'm doing. <laughs> sort of look sure. out to the audience and sort of like stare them down a little bit. It's like, there we go. Okay, <laughs> connection established. Um, <laughs> is is nice. Uh, yeah, but anyway, sorry. The original, the original live version was like 50 minutes long ish, and sort of starts with the flute centric bit, moves on to a guitar centric bit then moves to like a clarinet and piano sort of centric bit but for more recent performances because um venues have been after more like half an hour and i can't carry uh, an entire piano well no i don't know not like a piano piano like an electric piano i can't carry one of those by myself because i've been going like the last couple of gigs i did i took my stuff on a train which is like me with five bags <laughs> um, wow which is a uh, quite a sight but yeah so I couldn't take the piano (laughs) part so it was a bit like chop the end off basically and then I'm kind of left with like the nocturning type stuff the down type stuff and then Mary so it's leaving off a razor head because that was the pianos bit but I do like that bit it's just a shame about pianos are heavy (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah um I mean what I find interesting as well is the fact that you put up on Bandcamp that initial live take because hearing you talk about the the kind of deliberation of uh 
you know, trying to bring these pieces into some for- form that you can perform live and feeling maybe like uncertain about it for a bit and then working on it. Uh, and you put out that first kind of live take and, you know, said on the blurb, like, look, there are errors on this and stuff like that. But here it is for documentation. I mean, I think that's that's really cool. It's fascinating to be able to hear something which is sort of mid fruition. Mm. I mean, what was the thought behind putting that out there for for everyone to hear as you were working on that live set? So I think I think maybe one of the main things that made me think this would be quite nice is because um, uh, that that take was done prior to Tusk Festival by probably a fair margin, to be honest, maybe a month. Something like that. Anyway, uh, for Tusk Festival, my friend uh, Svenja, who is a dancer, uh, came and danced for us. Unfortunately, I think it didn't... Ooh, don't knock the tripod. My bad. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't think it necessarily came across very well because uh, she's done a lot of stuff where she's been in the audience and I think the audience are expecting her. In this, in like the music festival scenario... Something I, I literally hadn't occurred to me, like, that the audience, it's, it's dark. <laughs> it's dark out there. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people were like, are they, is, is she with the performance or is she not? Is she just high? <laughs> like, I, I think she did a marvellous job. Like, she did really, really well. And she's a, she's a really good dancer. Um, so hopefully at some point in the future, we'll be able to actually take the most of that. Because she, she was really, really cool. Um Anyway, we were rehearsing at um, Guildhall? I can't remember. Anyway, dance school in London. And uh, I brought along the take I'd done to kind of be like, right, this is essentially the how it's going to go. Not entirely, but peaks, valleys, mood, tone. You get the idea. Um, and we rehearsed along to it, and I was like, huh, yeah, yeah, this is... This is this is all right. This is this is this is pretty good, <laughs> and yeah, I think to be honest, it was it was largely that. And I think because uh, she was saying as much that she she was really enjoying it. It's weird because I feel like, I mean, you I I had to split it up into tracks because that is Bandcamp's policy, um, which I right. very much understand. Um, I.e., please don't just upload all your one-hour live ambient sets. For to just right. ruin our site cheers <laughs> which I, which i get i do understand but it's it's difficult for me going back and sort of like uh like i've picked out like i think it was a track i ended up calling narthex which is the third one but i don't think i think a lot of them i think the i think the thing works well as a whole better than maybe track by track but anyway but yeah it, it was that basically and i was like you know what recorded a good thing put the good thing up I think I'm just trying to be much nicer to myself in terms of... Because I, I think I have just in the past just driven myself freaking insane with kind of like, is this good enough? Is that good enough? Like, sure. it's a hard line to walk, I think, sometimes where it's like, obviously I want things to be good and I want things to be quality and intricate and to have care taken over it. At the same time, there's a difference, I think, potentially between that and then doing like... 23 takes of the same thing and like being like no that wasn't completely and utterly perfect splicing everything together like i say i'm not it's it's a question of proportion i guess sure <laughs> i think my yeah. my mental health has kind of suffered from a certain kind of 
mindset and attitude about some of these kinds of things so i'm trying to be a bit better about them and um another thing i wanted to bring up is the fact that you were involved in a soundtrack recently for a game called the curious case of timmy mcgrover yes Yes. (laughs) which i played today uh and had heaps of fun um so yeah could you tell me how did you get involved in the game so um so this this game was actually just for like um like a game jam which is a thing where you typically have a not a very long span of time for your team to make a game on a given theme and then you send it in and everybody sends theirs in and uh, it's like oh you did a thing in a short span of time good for y'all and then <laughs> maybe there are prizes or not I don't know I don't know much about other game jams <laughs> to, to be honest but Rainbow Game Jam is specifically LGBTQ plus focused and it's every year and uh, I'm in a little team with two trans women and and yeah we 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 when the when the opportunity arises we we make the game which has been really nice because we this is our second rainbow jam and this was a much more this was well in terms of like because i know that the first rainbow jam it was on my part kind of a more more of a sound design thing which was super interesting i'm pleased with what we did more time more experience would be better obviously yada 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 uh this one was a more kind of yeah, it was kind of it was it was much more like this is an OST, and it was like wow, I have a good opportunity here to just do some daft shit, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Well, okay, here's 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 the, here's the thing that I've been mulling over in the last few years is that like like obviously like a record like The King is like like high elf doom gloom kind of thing, and I'm well into that. That is my cheese. Uh, that's that's definitely my jam but it's also occurred to me of late that I'm, I'm also like i'm a humorous person like i also i like like ridiculous things and i enjoy stupid surreal comedy and this kind of thing so i've been trying to do some like some more light-hearted stuff like the, the doom and gloom ain't going anywhere um right <laughs> but but there's there's another side and i'm a bit like come on just this is again this is kind of a bit in the kind of the chill the fuck out philosophy um <laughs> in this kind of yeah just trying to improve my life on all fronts and adding some humor into that i think is um always a good bet <laughs> nice yeah it's so interesting to hear because playing the game i felt very immediately that you did the initial intro piece like that felt <laughs> something that i was like aha <laughs> yeah yeah that's guilty yeah yeah <laughs> but then as as the game goes on i mean am i right in saying you did all the music for the i game? did yeah yeah uh so you get you know the kind of nighttime theme you get uh, various bits where you got dogs kind of barking on rhythm and sort of like <laughs> weaving in and out of the beat and it's really awesome like <laughs> yeah <Yay. laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah was it a lot of fun to just be able to step outside of what you perhaps normally do when it comes to musical creation and just say right let's see what i can do for this game definitely like um well because like immediately because of the theme well, the themes of of our game, I was like, <laughs> this is like a cross between like Animal Crossing and Twin Peaks. This is this is, this is great. Um, yeah. And well, actually, and something I think slightly miraculous happened because like I I do I do have a lot of trouble 
uh, a lot of the time actually just letting the music happen like i'll go i'll go to write a track and especially if it's more kind of serious or whatnot like i think i feel more anxious in approaching and dealing with it because i'm like oh shit it's got to be good it's got to be good it's got to be good um and i think because i knew that my approach was that this will be dumb cheese it actually made everything so much better (laughs) about the whole process because it was like ah it's fucking fine (laughs) but but like but i i I still like i i think i mean the reason i've kind of like been like pushing it a little bit is because like it's obviously it's very very different from from the king and it's it's it was still done in like under two weeks very easily (laughs) like um i think the first week was kind of geared towards planning and i mean it also took a long time because i was doing it on i've actually i've gotten a new computer it's a windows um but i was doing that soundtrack on my old mac and oh my mac is like eight years old by now and it was chugging along like i had like i was trying to work with like I don't know, 15 lines of MIDI. And it was just like, just like, <laughs> like bounce this for me, please. And it would be like, all right, <laughs> give me a quarter of an hour. Uh, <laughs> and it was like, oh, oh crap. <laughs> so I, I got it out eventually. So uh, again, like, obviously I think there's, there's bits and pieces that I listen back to and I'm like, oh, that could do with some polish. And it could, but it was, it was two week game jam. What do you want? Well, I mean, this leads us quite nicely into your records. Uh, you have picked for your three important records, mm. three computer game soundtracks, which is definitely a first for crucial listening and a really fascinating experience for me personally, because it's been quite a while before I've, since I've thought, you know, with any kind of uh, depth about my relationship with computer game soundtracks. It's been a while since I play computer games, actually. So I've had a good time with this. But basically, I'd like to know uh, when, you know, when I put forward the question of uh, three important albums, what was it that led you to pick three computer game soundtracks? Yeah, that is a good question. Because like, okay, so when, because when you initially asked me, I mean, I think for any musician, it's a proper like... Ooh, kind of question. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I normally I kind of like... The albums I thought of initially, I thought actually in the grand scheme of things, some of these albums I have been listening to since I was like, what, 15 or 19? And hmm. uh, like, I, like, what did I think of? I thought about Ramstein, I thought about Tom Waits, I thought about Bjork, I thought about, oh, actually more recently, I thought about um, Flying Lotus's Cosmogramma. Like, there are so many... There are so many records to choose from, but if I am co- completely honest about what I've actually been listening to most of them, and what has, I think, sink, sunk into my brain most in the last five, six years, then actually it's probably records that are more along the lines of these. Like, I think, hmm, out of all of them, hmm... I think Bastion might be the first I came across. That was 2012, I think. (laughs) Yeah, 2012, I think, when I first played Bastion. But yeah, but we can get more into that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, nice, nice teaser there. So yeah, (laughs) why don't we dive in? So if you pick which record you want to talk about first and then tell me a little bit about why it's important. Yeah, um... Might as well try and do this in chronological order. Let's go for Bastion first. So what is it about this one that stands out as making it an important record or soundtrack for you? Right, so 
in my third year of college. The year was over, like, done everything, um, everything had gotten handed in. And in that last week after everything has wrapped up, so it's been like a really stressful week getting to that point, um, I'm on my own in the house, uh, myself and my, well, what do you call them, flatmates, are living in. Uh, They're out of town, I'm there by myself, and I'm woken up, I go to bed early because I'm knackered, and I'm woken up at like half past eight, it's already a bit, uh, it feels dark, no, it must be later. Anyway, anyway, sorry. Um, I'm, wo- <laughs> I'm woken up by someone coming into my room and the house is being burgled. And, like, luckily, like, uh, the guy just pegs it. Um, he ended up nicking, um, they both left their laptops behind. Um, I think I, I chased I chased the guy kind of down the stairs, but like I think I was mostly be sort of just saying, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Right. <laughs> um, I think that was the extent of like, I'd just woken up and I was just yeah. like, this is mostly like, are you friends of friends? <laughs> like, who are you? And then, then they, they then the runs off um, out the back. Um, and like, I'm laughing about it now. <laughs> but at yeah. the time it was like, like one of the worst things that, that I've ever like, that's ever like happened to me and like the police took like 45 minutes to come round and it was it was just horrible um mm. and from that point onward and like still a little bit to this day but a lot less like i'm never very happy if i'm on my own in a house at night and following that particular incident i got like some like super bad anxiety um to be honest when i was on my own uh, in a place of residence at all, to be honest. Like, um, I would play video games as, and play music as a way to kind of, like, try and engage all of my senses so I wasn't, like, listening out for the tiniest, like, floorboard or looking out right. for... You know what I mean? It's because it's yeah. very kind of engaging. And I moved out of that house, and for the summer I went to... Um, Uh, just for that month live in halls and I was still feeling like I was I I should have gone and seen somebody to be honest at the time I think it's one of those sort of situations where it's like on the one hand your response is completely understandable given what's happened on the other Mm. hand this is also kind of ruining your life (laughs) so that was the time when I'd moved out and moved into halls for a little bit that I discovered Bastion and like i think that game saved my mind that summer <laughs> like in in quite a serious way um because i think had it been bought for me did i buy it i don't i don't remember it was on my steam and i thought eh, let's give it a go open it up and like i really enjoy it as a game uh i think just so much about it is really really great uh and one of those things is definitely the soundtrack it's just so distinctive. It's very distinctive of that uh, composer, Darren Corb. It's, it's very much like his thing, but it's also like as a as a game that establishes a very specific world. It does it very effectively, very quickly, very strongly. Yeah, because I listened to it during this week, and then I watched a couple of kind of playthrough videos of someone playing through so I could kind of get an idea of the visual world with soundtrack combined and it is 
a really peculiar mesh of things mm. that he's working with there. Like the kind of thing that if he wrote down all of the elements that he wanted to combine on paper, uh, you'd say you're going to have a real bloody hard time putting those <laughs> yeah, all a little in one bit space. Like, Whoa, slow down, dude. <laughs> yeah, because it's this kind of like there's a kind of like a cowboy western thing going on. There's like a almost like dystopia utopia environmental thing going on there's e- there's even kind of like a middle eastern kind of like tone right. to parts of it um and like combining that with like a very like melodic approach a very electronic approach in many ways yeah it's kind of like it shouldn't work but it really does <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I was looking up as well his other work that he's done, mm. and I see that he did a game called Transistor, mm. which was described, I think he described it as old world post-rock, which again, mm. seems like he's really fixated on bringing elements together and kind of clashing them into each other until they kind of create something. Yeah, and I think like that goes quite well with... like what Supergiant Games as a company seem to do a lot of the time. Like, um, if I think of... I mean, ba- Bastion is how he described. I didn't I didn't actually play Transistor because, like, the mechanics didn't immediately appeal to me. I, prob- I probably should. I'll probably go back to it at some point. Um, but that was kind of, like, kind of a turn-based dystopia. But it's but the main character's, like, a singer. Um, right. And she has her voice stolen. Pyre is, like, kind of like a... Dungeons and Dragons meets Mad Max kind of aesthetic sort of going on. Like people will yell at me for that. That's not a great. Descript- that's not a great descriptor. But uh, in, in in a nutshell, um, yeah, um, yeah, and I and I think that's yeah. No, that's I mean that's something I I I really enjoy. Like, give me all kinds of weird shit that shouldn't work together and bung it in one thing, and I'm like, yep. Sold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting as well. We'll come to talk about this, I guess, a little with, with the other two as well as we sort of unify them into like a whole. Mm. But you've seemed to have focused on. I mean, I'm really rubbish with like computer games. I don't know whether this is right, but they seem to be produced by independent producers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is there something? unique or interesting going on within independent producers maybe with regards to soundtrack but maybe with regards to the games as a whole which is necessarily like more interesting or has more opportunities within it or or what do you think i think so like um i mean if i think of i mean what 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 games we talk we're talking about fez bastion and um machinarium Machinarium. yeah like and all all of those are kind of like smaller independent efforts and i think i get okay so i get the general impression that in terms of like triple a games you're talking about the kind of budget you would for a triple a film um and for that kind of money that investors are going to put in the thing they want a definite return and that's how that kind of side of things works but I think more than anything else, um, over the last, well, for a while probably, I say 10 years, but that's just how long I've been aware of it, there's been a growing mm. thing about thinking more about games in a more, like, in an, ac- in an academic sense, in the helpful way, i.e. how can we expand what we already think of games being, what can we kind of push at next a little bit, 
And to be honest, for me, even if it's just the studio being like, well, you know what, the music's going to be really spectacular, or you know what, the visuals are going to be really spectacular, even if it's not even a mechanical thing sometimes, it's really interesting for these sort of studios to kind of come about and for it to be more about, hmm, how can we push the envelope? I mean, I, yeah. I guess that's kind of true of all areas of entertainment, that the bigger you get, the more likely you are to have investors and the less interested they are in taking large risks. Let's go to your second soundtrack now. Uh, so yeah, I'll let you pick whichever one you want to go for. Uh, in the timeline, for me, I think this will be Fez. Cool. All right, so uh, why is this one important? So Fez, as a game, like, blew me away. It really did. Um, uh, have you played this one? So I haven't, but I have seen the film indie game where it's talked about a lot mm. uh, I so but I have friends who go on about it a lot and I think in preparing for this podcast I feel very very keen to sit down and I, in fact I might do it this afternoon oh, and give should, it a go you should totally yeah I I I endorse this plan of action <laughs> for your afternoon very very much so yeah so okay so here's here's a little thing because like uh, I've not seen Indie Game, the film. Okay. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, what Jonathan Blow has come out with, which, like, Braid and The Witness. That's that's for another time, maybe. <laughs> but, um, so I know that there was a lot of controversy around, like, Phil Fish being, like, a difficult personality or whatnot. Um, but I only really know about that on the periphery. Um, hmm. And uh, I don't think his sins are... okay. I I get the impression he did, he said some stupid stuff. Like I I don't I don't think uh, that has to be contested. <laughs> um, right. But I think he seemed to get the absolute an absolute battering for that. Whereas so like I get the impression somebody like Notch, the guy who did the Minecraft games, who has come out with some truly re- reprehensible stuff in the meantime. Um, not a similar timescale, but. Anyway, so yeah. rant over. Um, so I think a lot of people were put off playing Fez because they found Phil Fish to be distracting. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is so so good. Um, I will I will talk about some minor spoilers just for your audience to be a little bit aware. Oh no, you haven't played. Oh no. Oh, Jack. What do I do? Oh, hang on, hang on. Can I talk about this without Okay. Okay, the way in which the the world gets revealed to you is just lovely. And actually to be honest, I think oh wait, if you've seen indie game, what what do you imagine Fez to be like when you play it? Okay, so so I, I had a look at some videos earlier as well, just to get a grasp of it. So this is what I know about Fez already. It's super colourful. It's clearly like influenced by those 
sort of platformer games, 2D platformer games. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of the mechanic where then things also swivel. And so you end up <laughs> okay. with this like three-dimensional aspect. I've seen um, the... Uh, I watched a little bit in one of the playthroughs earlier where basically it seems that that mechanic where the camera swivels and you get to sort of walk along... Uh, you know that different plane mm-hmm. is revealed in a really cinematic, crazy way. It is, yeah. Because okay, here's here's the thing that for a lot of people who haven't played it and might not necessarily play it, it's kind of a shame that you need to point them to a walkthrough. Because don't get me wrong, it's better that you play it than never play it. But on the other yeah. hand, I'm like, no, I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming, and when it happened, I was like. <gasps> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so so good um wow. but, but yeah i think like the experience of playing the game like um obviously in terms of as you say in terms of the the artwork and presentation it is so 8-bit um like joyfully so super bright and colorful um and whenever gomez gets a cube he's the cutest thing on the goddamn planet he just jumps up and <laughs> smiles and is like oh <laughs> got a cube um and it's so great but i think yeah also like ah oh, the music i I, li- I still like listen to that soundtrack on a semi-regular basis because it's just it's okay it's what okay i <laughs> don't know if anybody else says it like this i call that kind of music a uh, high fidelity 8-bit because it is so it is it is absolutely inspired and sort of recreating what would have happened with 8-bit but the synths and all the rest of it are beautiful right Um, yeah so it's it's just like it's like nostalgia seen in the bright light of day um in like the best way possible and i think as well it's like in terms of the writing it's just it's it's very if I say it's simple, it's kind of doing it a bit of disservice. It's like everything that has to be there and should be there is there, and what is there is really great. And it's like disaster piece, just making the most of what the synths have to offer, and it being just super playful and super evocative. Ah, oh, I just really, really like it. It's so good. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I, th- I think as well, like, it's all got, like, a very particular sense of space in its own kind of way of, like, different places, different environments. And playing Fez, like, you discover quite quickly that... And, okay, this is something I understand that the game got some criticism for. And on the one hand, I get it. And on the other hand, I just don't care. Um, is that you you absolutely do not have to solve every single puzzle in the game in order to win, for starters. In fact, the percentage of the puzzles you have to get right, find out, etc., um, is actually, I think, something like 60 or 70% of them, because there are some puzzles that are just so, like, deep, so, like, <laughs> stupidly hard, <laughs> in a sense, that, like, I mean, they're there if you want to give them a go. It's it's more I for for me it's more about that. I think some people found it a little bit like, oh for fuck's sakes, like right. when am I ever going to solve that? And it's a little bit like, I get that. I understand the frustration. On the other hand, I'm a bit like, that's not the point though. Like there's one that I know exists, which is like you have to take like a spectrograph of the soundtrack at one of the points, and the spectrograph has a code in it or something whoa yeah like that kind of level of deep um and there's like an alphabet 
in it and stuff that's made of different like cubes in different places like a whole code like i think that the hard ones get really bananas but i I, love that yeah exactly like i don't feel like oh i paid money for this game i should be able to solve all the puzzles it's more like no no no. i'm allowed to enjoy the game you know with my monkey brain as it is (laughs) but like (laughs) if if i wanted to spend like like two weeks of my life being like you know what I'm gonna, yeah I'm gonna solve this puzzle yeah this really hard I'm gonna, I'm gonna solve this puzzle then I could and the option yeah. for that to be there just makes the whole thing seem just so much more like a world yes absolutely I love the idea of them being certain things that are perpetually out of reach because I, I for, for me that's part of what would make that kind of thing immersive is the fact that there are certain shelves that you can't even clasp. They're mm. sort of held right beyond you. You yeah. can never fully know it. Yeah. Uh, which is so wonderful. But uh, I also read about the fact that some parts of the soundtrack, and I don't know if this is evident while you're playing it or just sips, slips seamlessly into it, but the, there's a reactive proponent to the soundtrack as well. So if you're like playing at certain times of day, some of the pieces are like uh, uh, modulated in key. And stuff like that. I mean, what? that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Because this is this is the kind of. So I mean, I haven't I haven't actually played Fez since like 2013 or 14, but I've been listening to the soundtrack since then on a fairly regular basis. Wow. So I should go back and play the game and see if I notice because that <laughs> is so cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me want to... Uh, this this is the kind of thing that makes me want to dive in myself. Yeah. But um, also as well, you mentioned about the kind of restraint that he employs mm. as a soundtrack composer, that everything that needs to be there is there and that's it. Uh, it seems as well that silence seems to play a part of it and that there are parts of the game that are silent. I mean, is that something that also feels quite potent as you're playing it? There's moments where the music is snatched away from you? I'm trying to remember, you know. I'm sure it does when it happens. <laughs> it's been a while, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a while. I think, like, I know something that definitely struck me at the time and continues to strike me is, like... Because, okay, because I think I saw a video on Disaster Piece, um, Disaster Piece talking about the soundtrack and something like he uses one synth. It's like a synth you can find on Logic or something like that. Um, but the sheer, like... It's so nice to be reminded that even just, a like, an oscillator can can produce like this stupid range of sounds for you to work with like it's almost it's so orchestral in its approach like the more i listen to it the more i'm like i mean like i i, I feel this is like a horrible overhang of classical training that i'm like ew there could be an open over there um but but i mean that in like a really good way because it's it's that kind of way of like textural timbral variety is what i'm trying to get at yeah <laughs> and that yeah. and that is like really really special they're like things that are more nighttime or horror ish like have appropriate like timbre and things that are daytime ish or like evening or mm. yeah there's a lot of stuff that's sort of like evening kind of music that really feels that way and oh it's just it's so good <laughs> <laughs> was that did that play into your head i mean maybe this soundtrack in particular but maybe not but when you were composing your soundtrack were you like okay so well, i mean you must have been obviously this feels like an obvious question but like it's nighttime. it's the kind of the same scene but it's different like uh, how much were you pulling from that environment when you were doing yours huh. that's interesting i don't think you know i think 
I'm trying to remember where I started with the Timmy McRover track. You know, I think I started at daytime because for me, that was the bigger challenge. <laughs> like doing like nighttime, like schmoozed electro jazz was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, done that. I can do that. Um, but it was the daytime piano kind of stuff. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, right. Um, <laughs> obviously. But, um, yeah, but but I thought it was like a nice opportunity there because because it's in a game, and so you've kind of got the the history and language of games in your head, even if you're not really thinking about it like that. Um, mm. Like the like the, the, the whole kind of Animal Crossing ish kind of vibe is a thing you understand to be a game thing, and you also kind of understand like the electronic thing to also be a game thing. So to have yeah. two vastly different arrangements of like a very similar theme seem to be a good way to and a lot less work because <laughs> <laughs> it was only like a week and it was like oh i can't write too much <laughs> um but I, I i ended up improving a fair amount of it i think this is another thing about the whole improv that i i enjoy i enjoy farting about with with instruments so it's a good way to make the most of me farting about your final soundtrack uh if you tell me if you could tell me what it is and then a little bit about why this one is important to you as well yeah okay so this is this is the odd one of the bunch because this is the only one where i have not played the entire game in fact i think Ah. i've only actually played the first like 10 minutes of machinarium um but i am a massive fan of a number of games by that studio um and they're the kind, right. of, and they're the kind of games because they're, they're puzzle games essentially. They're kind of point and click puzzle type games, but they are all so bizarre <laughs> that, uh, and in its mechanics, like oh, obviously I have to go to the, I have to fling a cat onto the the thing to make the thing fall over, and that's how I manage to wake <laughs> up the beast. It's that, it's that kind of train of logic that you're working with. So I don't know if I've <laughs> ever actually finished and. Is it Animata or Amin- Aminata? It's Aminita. And I don't think I've ever... Fi- I've not finished a game yet. I'm playing Chuchel at the moment, and I have high hopes that I'll finish Chuchel. But in a way, again, <laughs> I kind of almost don't care because they're so good uh, in just their peculiarity. And this soundtrack is... You know, I think the soundtrack itself was only actually introduced to me like a year, a year ago, something like that. Right. But ever since it was, and... Um, a friend and I listened to the whole thing and I was like that was really good and I keep <laughs> yeah. and my, my partner has it so I keep listening I kept listening to it on their computer and then I was like seems I've listened to this soundtrack a good 20 times now um, yeah and, and, and it keeps it keeps being good so I keep listening to it yeah I mean it's interesting you say about having not completed these games that's always something that I find interesting to ask people because when I was like super into computer games, 
there were people who used to play games right to the close and people would just be like that was cool that was fun but i don't feel this panging sense of you know unresolved sort of nagging that i haven't finished it and i was definitely someone who i think much like many facets of my life i pick up put down without ever really finishing but i mean where do you kind of sit with that i mean are you someone who will play things right through or is it dependent on the game or how does that work out hmm it that's a that's an interesting one because like okay you know uh quite a common conversation i mean not too common because you can't have the same conversation all the time that I've had with friends and especially my partner is about our notion of like completionism um, because my partner for instance he's very much like he wants to exp- well he you know actually he came to the conclusion recently it's not so much that he necessarily wants to experience the entirety of a game's content but more that he feels like he should um, I have right. always been the complete opposite I'm the kind of person who reads half a book and forgets about it when it comes to games <laughs> I think Here's, now here's the thing if I enjoy a game and I think it's good I will see it through to the end however long that might take but I'm not the kind of person who will necessarily replay it a million times in order to get every single bit of content every different ending etc etc particularly because for me I'm sure for other people too like um, uh, a lot of these games for me are quite emotional experiences and it feels like it would be really draining to go over like the same material again and again and especially like well either emotionally draining or very very brain draining so are there other games by amanita or other soundtracks by amanita as well that are particularly compelling to you or, or, or that you return to often definitely like um i don't know about return to often but stick in my mind definitely like um uh, oh yeah, a soundtrack that I kept wanting to play like whilst we were, my partner and I were like playing board games, but he found it too distracting, which is understandable. Up until a puzzle that was really, really difficult and doesn't reset. Um, <laughs> um, I really, <laughs> really enjoyed, I really loved uh, Botanicula, that you, you essentially help four seeds in a forest be not I can't remember actually. They're they're escaping from something, I think. But it's all like foresty things, and there's there's mushrooms and and plants and trees. Um, but the soundtrack is bonkers. Like it's all, the, it, it's very much. I don't I don't know if because I think um, their games are often soundtracked and or I think produced by even a guy called Thomas Dvorak, um, who has like an electronic artist's name that I forget. Um, but uh, sometimes they, because I know Chuchel has um, a soundtrack by DVA, and that's kind of similar in that it's got a lot of like, kind of like <laughs> peculiar little vocalizations and like really like daft toy noises. And th- this is the kind of thing I was kind of talking about earlier because I've liked that kind of sound world and like peculiar humorous sound worlds. Like, I really like, I like Oingo Boingo. Um, and Mikachu and Tuneyards. I've liked that kind of stuff for ages, but I've never written anything like it because I think, I think um, a lot of the time in life you're encouraged to do serious, meaningful things. Um, right. Uh, kind of thing, and like that's that's worthy, and 
you know, don't don't yeah. fart about doing fun things. What are you, you know? Fun, you know. Right, yeah. Why, you know? And well, yeah, you get to a point where it's like, hang on, but I love fun. I think I remember I had a moment, <laughs> like <laughs> I had a moment a number of years ago when I I was doing something very complicated and like uh, it was good and I liked it, but I think I listened to some Blink One Eight Two and I was like, man, those guys must have a lot of fun. <laughs> there's a really good clip on youtube somewhere of i think uh the drummer who is really really good travis barker is doing a take yeah, and it's, and it's it. like it's just like it's like amazing and through like a closed soundproof door the other two are watching and one turns to the other and is like i can barely play my instrument <laughs> <laughs> but like I remember I like that came to my mind and I was a little bit like but it's good though like well okay people will debate me on yeah. that but I enjoy like I enjoy Blink-182 and it's like but they must have fun I remember yeah. fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's weird how that works I wonder if it's because people think that humour has a shelf life that something can only be funny for so long and then once it starts becoming funny, the value is lost somewhat, which is never really how that stuff works for me. It just becomes this compounded good feeling. You may yeah. have a laugh first time and then it's like, oh, you know. And I think as well, it's like, there's there's so much more than than just like the, the ah oh, ha or however you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not like that. <laughs> you know, like um if I if I think if I think about stuff like that, it's all it's the whimsy that goes along with it. Or if I think of like um oh Eddie Izzard and I think about their comedy shows, it's not just the fact that it's funny, it's also the fact that it's weird as hell. And yeah. that has its appeal. Like oh it's the kind of like um I guess it's kind of like the opposite of horror. It's like, just because I know the scare is coming and it's not going to make me piss myself for the first time ever. Right. It's still like, that's not the only reason I'm here. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, for me, because I'm someone who reacts quite uh, potently to both horror and comedy, really. I'm either laughing or <laughs> trembling, one yeah. of the two. But, uh, but, but, but as soon as that feeling fades and just to be able to examine the mechanics of how they got to making that sensation come to be mm. is such a lovely thing when you can watch it with a much more level emotional perspective and be like oh the type the rhythm like the lighting oh, it's just it's, it's it's the best definitely well because especially i mean comedy doesn't necessarily have this problem but especially with horror I can't really watch it in the first place if there isn't more going on than just the fact it's really horrifying. Like, I don't... Sometimes I get the urge to go on YouTube and just look up, like, horror scenes because I think everybody gets that just pang of, like, you know what I want to see? I want to see something really disgusting. <laughs> just because, <laughs> you know, not for any good reason. <laughs> like, just because, eh, bored. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if I'm actually going to invest in a film, I can't do, like just pure gore stuff for instance because i'm just like i no. ah, i don't want to like give me a good reason like a mystery right. or a wonderful personal story otherwise no i don't uh, i don't want to <laughs> um yeah like, oh yeah. like i really enjoyed like the babadook um 
Oh, and par- yes. p- partly, because, I mean, that is scary as hell. You know, I found it scary as hell on the first watch. I've not seen it more than once, actually. But like, even more than that, it's just a really compelling story. It happens to be fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, gosh, and that's one as well where uh, I've become someone who reads a lot about films and sort of leans into the various theories about them and stuff. I mean, that one was ripe for. Uh, you know, the sort of reality fantasy divide that went on in that film. It's like, how much was actually happening? How much of the monster was, you know, it, it, there was so much to, to dig into that made that film worthwhile. And like, totally, it meant that I pr- pretty much read as much afterwards, you know, spent as long doing that as I did watching the film. Yeah. So good. <laughs> do you know what I think finally prompted me to watch the film is do you remember there was that thing with the internet where everyone was like oh the Babadook is gay icon <laughs> and I was like <laughs> why I have to know right. and uh, yeah it has nothing nothing it's because Netflix put it in the LGBT section by accident <laughs> and that's literally it oh is that why <laughs> yeah what <laughs> at least okay that's that's what I read so that's what I'm going with. <laughs> so yes, I found out. No, no, there is no reason for the Babadook to be an LGBTQ film at all. <laughs> but but I enjoy that's how that's how I got there. <laughs> I think it's a quite a feminist uh, kind of film, like in a lot of ways. Like as in like not that it's not that it's. Uh, trying to sort of portray like a very specific message but just in like various aspects of the story and that yeah yeah no i i do you know what i i hadn't really considered that side of it to return to uh computer game soundtracks i mean I, yeah. i'm intrigued to <laughs> oh, yeah, no. oh, I, remember. <laughs> I was i was curious to know like what what's the first soundtrack that you think made you think okay so soundtracks are something that's worth examining as a art form in its own right. Can you remember that? Hmm. You know, I think it might have been <laughs> Silent Hill 2! Everybody's favourite <laughs> horror game! <laughs> but for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yep, it's that old pony. Yeah, no, um, so, okay, moving back. Okay, there's a, there's a series on YouTube called Extra Credits. Um, which is really, really good. It's about, it's, I think it was started as extra credits for this person's like English or game theory or whatever it was class. Um, and it's like little animations and then like a video essay. And they had one a while ago on video game music. And here's the thing. Uh, generally I, I really, really like extra credits. It's a really good YouTube channel. There's a lot of great stuff about games in general, and I super recommend it to anyone. This one episode is one that for me as a musician takes me off though, because <laughs> it's more about how, how music is catchy and doesn't, doesn't, for me, but I mean, I am a musician, so I mean, things about music will piss me off really easily. <laughs> so I'm a hard, I'm a hard <laughs> audience for that kind of thing. Don't, don't hold it against them too much. Um, Anyway, but um, but I, I remember they briefly mentioned the Silent Hill soundtrack toward the end, and I remember this like super pissing me off at the time because yeah, I played I played Silent Hill, and it's an amazing game. It's atmospheric as hell. It's terrifying. 
it's intriguing like I wanted to play through to the end because I was like I have to know what the hell is going on and music wise especially the horror sections the music is just so uh, it you, you know sometimes you have that sweet spot where you notice the music because it is so good but in the best way you could notice the music not not in the yes. way that sort of sucks you out but in the way that makes you go oh my god this is amazing um, yeah 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 it was definitely one of those like um, uh, <laughs> have you played Silent Hill <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I've never, I never did, and do you know what? I think it's because, and this is only really in the last year that this has changed. The last couple of years, couldn't deal with horror at all as a kid. I, I mean, horror computer games were pretty much the, the worst kind of combination of things that I could even fathom because I didn't like horror as it was, and to think that I had some kind of agency or some kind of involvement as a player or character. Um, just meant that that distance that you could get with a film watching it happen to someone else was brought down. So I never engaged with them. I'm starting to undergo my own uh, reflection upon that and think, well, I probably missed out on a lot there. So it may be something that I end up revisiting. Because, well, because I, I think that is like a perfectly, a very relatable thing, basically, because like, for me... You know, I don't even... I'm not even sure if I've played a horror game... Okay, I've played games with horror elements that you probably wouldn't say are horror games the whole way through. Um, or they're thriller types. Like, um... Right. Uh, oh, Poetry Club. Thingy Poetry Club. Bah. Doki Doki Literature Club. There we go. Um, which I won't say anything about because if you've not played it, don't look up any spoilers. It's brilliant. Go play it and don't get put off by the first hurdle because I was initially and I was like, oh, really? Fuck sakes. Um, anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> I think the nice thing about Silent Hill is that, yeah, again, there's more than the horror going on, but I am very much the sort mm. of person who will... I will fart about for 30 minutes in an area because I'm like, if I go through that door, I'm going to fucking die. I can't do that. Yeah. I absolutely can't do that. Like, I recently played through... Oh, that was it. It was a... Oh, it was, my, my, I've got some friends who have a VR system, uh, like an NVIDIA, and it's the proper like big deal. You put the sensors up in the corner of your room and tell it how big the room is, and it's got the headset and the, the hand things. Um, oh, wow. And... That was it. So it was a game where you have to go through... It's basically an office. I wish I could remember the name. It's got a humorous name, like office... It's an office-related pun. But there are robots who want who will kill you if they see you. And this is the kind of VR where, yeah, if you if you turn your head, like you can turn your head, you can, you can bend down and you will be physically lower and all this kind of wow. thing. And you ping yourself about by like you can see a spot and you have like a a gun type instrument and you can point it and it makes a circle and then you say take me over there and you can see through the portal for a second to make sure you're not going to die instantly and then you can teleport yourself there but okay so (laughs) I got a perfect run through with no deaths but it took me like a good hour or something because I was like I'm gonna die like, it's even worse <laughs> right. than just looking at a screen and holding a controller. Like, I'm literally there. Like, right. they, they will kill me. 
I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I, I very much relate to that because I think my friends were impressed, but they just laughed at me the whole way through because it looks, it looks, it looks stupid. Because there's me in a living room, just being like, like bent down on the floor, like trying to look around the corner, being like, oh, I can't do this. And yeah, it just, it's, it's really, really it's funny. But, oh. um, but yeah, I think there has to be. If any any kind of horror game I play that I recommend, there's there's much more there than just straight up horror because I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> that is the thing. No, I, no. That is in spite. It's the it's the pepper. It's like it's, it's like a curry. It's the chili pepper, but not the chili on all its own. Metaphors. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Calorie <laughs> net- metaphors, no less. That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, I'm intrigued. This this kind of ties in as well because, um, I mean, certain computer games, particularly when we talk about horror, are more palatable, I think, at different times of day. And I'd always have friends who say, I stayed up all night and played this horror game. And I was like, you're stupid. Why would you do that? But obviously <laughs> yeah. for them, it's part of the thrill. I mean, is there a particular time of day or situation in which you like to sit down and play computer games? Is there like a prime time for you like i remember playing a lot of (laughs) i remember playing a lot of silent hill during the day in autumn because particularly in manchester that meant it was overcast as hell and sometimes even foggy and yes whenever it's foggy (laughs) i'm always like oh my god it's silent hill too i am I always <laughs> I saw a meme recently go by it's that one where it's like somebody says and then it's my brain don't say it don't say it don't say it and it's the one where somebody says oh it's foggy today <laughs> brain don't say it don't say it it's Silent Hill um, yeah um, yeah so uh, yeah I, I'm somebody I prefer playing well you know what actually I mostly prefer playing games during the day because I'm awake like I'm, I'm tired right. in yeah. the evening. I don't want to play till four in the morning. I'm old. Right. I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get the most out of a thing and experience it whilst whilst all my senses are functioning properly. Uh, yeah. Having said that, I probably I wouldn't enjoy playing a horror game on a really really nice day. I wouldn't enjoy playing games on a really really nice day. I want it to be a kind of like a meh day. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. And that's that's really interesting because um, my memories of playing games was actually always playing them in the evening and almost to the point where I was starting to transition into shutting down for the day. I don't know why that was always my thing. Probably, I don't know. But I, I really like the idea of actually just giving the game the respect of your full attention and having your senses completely opened particularly if it's something that's really nicely designed to be able to go i'm ready to receive this every aspect of it that's really nice totally and to be honest i think also like because because i'm a fan of a a lot of these games i mean silent hill as well as being a horror it's a puzzle game right and it's a good puzzle game um so it's going around you start in well you start hang on you start in the town then you end up in it's like an abandoned block of flats basically uh and there's that and then there's a hospital later on which is pretty fucking terrifying but so you have to go around all these places gather the items um and then solve the puzzle that has been brought to your attention and then you gather bits and pieces of so i need to have everything working because i'm like 
Yeah, what is the... Oh, shit. <laughs> you need to, I, need, I need to be able to solve whatever, whatever's happening. See, this has been wicked. If people want to keep up to speed with what you're doing online, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so in fact, the next thing I've got in the pipeline, I, I'm actually, I'm, go- I'm trying to work on a video game myself of sorts. Um, oh, yeah, cool. It's, it's going to be one where audio is the the biggest like mechanical thing you have to deal with. So let's have a think. I'm on I'm on Instagram, uh, which is chains with underscores between all the letters. Um, I'm on Twitter, our as chains music. I'm on Facebook, uh, and hopefully soon when I have some time and I get everything together, uh, I'm trying to get myself a Patreon. Because I think it will be nice oh, cool. to have a, a more regular relationship to people who listen, and yeah, I really, I really want to get this project off the ground because I think it could be really, really cool. Well, um, thank you once again, see, and to everyone listening, I'll see you next time. Okay.